Welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the Kingdom Conversations podcast. We are excited to bring to you testimonies and kingdom insights from apostolic leaders across the country. If you haven't already, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review with any suggested topics you may have for future episodes. Let's jump in. We are honored to have Reverend Tim Gaddy with us in studio today. He pastors New Life Church in Cabot, Arkansas. He's been a student pastor and a church planter and is now the Arkansas District Superintendent, and we've been blessed with his leadership here. If you've not watched or listened to it already, he preached a tremendous message at the UPCI General Conference back in October. It's a boy. Brother Gaddy, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Devin. I'm glad to be here. Today we are talking about organic ministry. What does that mean to you? And we're talking about identifying the call of God in our lives. And once we do feel the call to ministry, how do we determine what that call entails? And how do we follow that and not push for something that might not be in the will of God? Some feel a direct call to preach from a pulpit, while others may not feel that direct call for pulpit ministry. And at times it feels like there's such a push for pulpit ministry, and while that is absolutely necessary in our movement, not everyone is called to pulpit ministry. How do we become content in the role God has placed us in, and how can we flourish and be successful in accomplishing kingdom work in that role until God opens another door? Well, this is a tremendous topic, and I want to say, first of all, to you, Devin and Stratton, uh, thank you for the privilege to be on this podcast. I, I think it's a wonderful thing that there are discussions and uh, conversations happening about ministry because we sharpen each other when we talk. Uh, you bring topics that are applicable to kingdom life. And so I really honor what you guys are doing today. Very honored to, to share my voice with this. Organic ministry uh, when I think of organic, the first thing that comes to my mind is some of the things that my wife sends me to the grocery store to get. And uh, there is um, an aisle, at least in the Kroger in Cabot, that is designated for organic uh, items. And I will tell you that from experience of just taking that list and going to Kroger, that aisle is not the largest area of the grocery store. Uh, it seems to be a little limited, uh, and I think because uh, of the fact organic to me and what I kind of decipher um, in just those honeydew lists is organic means pure, it means authentic. Those are two words that I kind of identify with organic, and uh, this is why I think podcasts like this are very important and topics like this are very important because when we talk about organic ministry, we're talking about pure ministry, authentic ministry. If I'm hearing what you're saying, Devin, it's the desire to have a ministry that is not a carbon copy or just a rubber stamp that this is who I am because I'm copying after somebody else, but how did God make me? Yes. And that is uh, admittedly sometimes the uh, smaller segment of ministers because it's easy to want a carbon copy, especially if you see success. So how do we uh, become authentic 
and I, I use that. I know that's kind of a buzzword, and, and yet it's a very powerful word. How do I become an authentic minister? I remember when I was growing up, uh, I would go to youth camps, and uh, the ministers would get up, and they would say something like, God's going to call people to preach in this youth camp. And the truth of the matter is, it's true. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, tomorrow, uh, the, tomorrow, I know we're taping this right now, but tomorrow will be an anniversary of me being called to preach at a youth camp. And here I am at the, at the time of this recording at a youth camp. And so uh, does God use meetings to call people to preach? Yes, but I think he uses meetings and camps and services and, and, and services in a local church to call people to minister more than he does call them to preach because preaching is just a part of ministry. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, again, I, I think that what you're, what you're touching on in this topic is, is, is so very important. When I think of organic ministry, I think of being true to who we are and who God made us. So I'll just make a few, few comments about that. Uh, we have to be okay with truly how God made us. Uh, and that speaks to identity and understanding over time of our personality, our makeup, and truly embracing that and just accepting that. Uh, and so uh, if God made us as a fireball preacher, we would not be authentic if we were not a fireball preacher. Yeah. But if God made us with a personality that is more of a teacher, instructor, uh, a little bit more systematic in our approach, we would not be authentic if we tried to be a fireball preacher. And so I think that just as far as getting our thoughts around this, uh, it's embracing who we are in Christ. And I think that takes a little bit of time to embrace that. Sure. So I'll also say this. Uh, years ago, I was at a leadership conference, and the instructor was saying this. If we're trying to decide who we are, we're in that discovery phase. Perhaps there's young ministers who would listen to this podcast and think, well, uh, Devin Stratton, I don't even know who I am. I haven't got that identity yet of who I am in Christ as a minister. Uh, this particular instructor at this leadership conference said there's a couple of questions you need to ask yourself to discover who you are in ministry. Number one, what comes easily for you? Uh, what What is it that you can do, and it's not that you can do it without thinking, but it, it, it is easy for you to do. Uh, there are some people that it's easy for them to talk in front of people. There's other people, they break out in hives when they think about that. So what it, what is it easy for you to do? Secondly, what do people say to you as far as your gifting? What do they recognize in you? So when we, we embrace us, what we think, about our, ourselves, what comes easy for us. And then secondly, what do people say about us? And when those two things agree, you have a pretty good sense of where, where God may have you as far as being authentic. So those are just a few things as we get started today that come to my mind. When, when recognizing what other people say about you, you know, the things that come to you more naturally and then noticing your own self, it can be kind of hard to not get a prideful spirit. Sure. Trying to, you know, taking everything with a, as a grain of salt. Uh, just because people talk 
about you good, like you're good at this, this is what you're natural at, and all these things. Very quickly in our flesh, we're like, wow, I'm good at this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you almost kind of start getting puffed up a little bit. How do you keep somebody, like what would you tell somebody to keep them humble in their gifts? Because obviously we know that uh, once we find out our giftings, it's, you want to flow. You want to you start honing that, that gift or that talent or whatever you're good at. You want to start honing it in and practicing it more and more. What would you say to a young minister to just keep them humble? It's a great question, and I think we start with recognizing that that gift comes from God. The Bible says that every good gift, every perfect gift, comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. So as a minister, I've got to realize, first of all, if I'm gifted, it came from God. It did not come from me. Now, He uses our personality, and He made us a certain way, and He will use the the call to, to minister to facilitate that through our personality but the the call the gifting that he gives us is from him and so we have to just remind ourselves and if that's an everyday thing it's an everyday thing god you made me you gifted me i am simply what you made me and that helps with the pride thing Uh, secondly stratton i think it's important that we recognize god can use anybody or anything he wants none of us have the corner on the market in ministry just because we were used one time doesn't mean that we are the, the flavor of the day and God's going to always use us. He can use a donkey. Mm-hmm. He can put a pillar of fire in the, in the sky. He can put a cloud to guide the children of Israel. He does not need our prideful self to accomplish his will. Now, he chooses to use us, but that's simply his grace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we can keep those things in mind, that will keep us from becoming prideful. And then I remember years ago hearing a minister say uh, he got done preaching and ministering and people just in that moment uh, said to him, boy, that's the greatest sermon I think I've ever heard and all this stuff that if we allow it could become this prideful thing inside of us. And he said he went back to his hotel room and he got down next to the bed on his knees and he said, God, I want to give you the compliments that people gave me. Because I realize it was you that spoke to me about that sermon that, that I put together. And I just want to share with you what people said about you. Now, I'm the channel, yeah. but I want to give you these compliments. Yeah. And that was a, a wonderful example to me of keeping in mind we're simply channels. Absolutely. We're simply conduits and channels that the Spirit of God and the Lord chooses to use. Uh, so I think those are a couple of ways that we can not believe the press yeah because you're right strand that is a danger if you start believing the press and saying wow i really must be something no god in his grace is using us now i will say this i think it's important not to flip to the other side of that that road and fall in the other ditch and say well i'm really nobody god can use a donkey so he's using me no 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 we have to be more secure than that uh he uses people and uh, we recognize that. So we don't need to be insecure, but we don't need to be over-secure in just who we are. It, it, it's, that, it's that balance that we have to strive for. It reminds me of, uh, I was watching a recent <clears throat> sermon of uh, Brother Mark Morgan where he was saying, I guess early on in his life, I don't remember who it was, it might have been Brother Ewing's, that came up to him and said, are you so arrogant that you think that God only speaks to you? You know, somebody else may have a word, too, for this, you know, as if I'm presenting myself, well, God has spoken to me, and 
what God has spoken to me is final. You know, God can't speak to you. And uh, through my life, Stephen, my brother, has helped me to kind of be patient with that thinking process as far as God does not have to use you. It's We have to understand that it's because of his grace. It's because his love and the the fact that he wants to use us. Those are the thoughts that I want to keep in my spirit and my mind. If God does not want to use me in this moment or in this church service, use whatever gifting he's given to me, I should learn to be okay with that. Sure. Because I had had thoughts growing up as far as, well, God, you don't want to use me like you were saying. I, I would fall so far down into that pit, and then it was like the next week I'd fall or I'd jump so high to the next one, you know. And Stephen has really helped me to find that balance. And he was talking about in chapel, and he talked about it last night or yesterday about, um, you know, how we're almost on this. We don't need to live our lives on this pendulum. You know, we're, we're like this roller coaster. We're down one minute. We're up. Try to, you know, with prayer and fasting and reading the word and counsel, finding where you can stay consistent every single day. And and I, I've, I've, I've learned myself and uh, – Devin, I'd like to hear his input on this, but just that just patience, accepting the fact that God doesn't only want to use you. Be patient. Like you said, he can use a donkey. And, and I've tried to use this knowledge, so to say, to help other young men. You know, they're, they're passionate. They're ambitious to be preachers or do whatever they feel they are called to do for God. Just keep in mind and humble yourself with thought process that God does not have to use you, but he wants to because he loves you. And the fact that you're his child, he's yes. going to use you, but he's got to mature you a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's got to develop his character. He, he wants you to become more like him every single day before so that you don't run off and run into a, 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 a pit of fire and, and destroy yourself. When you get his character, it's, 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 that's what's going to help you stay consistent and just realizing that we are only here. Like you said, we're here because of him. That's right. That's right. He designed us. Well, and, and I think if we, if we keep in mind he loves people so much that he will use us to minister to them. That's right. And if we can keep that as the understanding in our minds, we preach, we minister, we serve, we, we lead, and something goes great. That is less about me Absolutely. and more about how much he loves those people to whom I ministered yeah. that he would choose to use us. And I think that is a distinction we can't miss, that it's not about just being used. It's about being a channel because he loves those people enough. He needs someone to speak to them or he needs someone to serve them. Uh, that will help. That, that's going to really help. And, and I appreciate what you said about uh, not feeling like it has to just be me. One of the things that I try to do, guys, is when I go into a service setting, I did it today at the uh, camp that we're at. Uh, I do it on at times that I know I'm the preacher, like I'm scheduled to preach somewhere. Uh, I go in with the desire to not only deliver the word, but to receive the word. Yeah. And I think if we can discipline ourselves to say, God, I'm not just here to give, I'm here to receive as well. I want to receive something from you, and I also want to be faithful to give what you've given me for this moment. That will help, I think, it helps me to, to move past this performance mentality 
that I bless God, I've got the word. And you know what? Yes, there's times I do have the word that God wants to speak. And I'm not going to back up on that. I'm not going to be arrogant about it. I'm going to deliver what God has given me. But I'm also a receiver of God's spirit. And, and, and he wants to speak something to me in that moment, in that service, in that worship time. And so uh, perhaps that can help us to not get this exclusive mentality that it's just us. We touched on this topic briefly yesterday about how God speaks to us and how some things he shares with us are not necessarily for the body or for anyone else. I shared um, something I heard you say about your prayer journal and about how most of what God gives you will never come across a pulpit. Let's circle back to humility. There's a book by Reverend Eli Hernandez called Maintaining Divine Operation. The book was transcribed from several live sessions he did with the youth in his church. And while it was originally taught to youth and young adults, it is tremendous for any age group. It talks about staying humble, walking in humility, and how that will position us to accomplish true kingdom work. James 4 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there's grace and humility and power and submission. Another question we had was, what happens once we feel a call to ministry or a young person feels a call to ministry? And I would dare say that many calls are going forth this week at youth camp. Some will be called to preach. Others will feel a call for something, but unsure of what that might look like. How do we develop that calling and navigate that path of ministry? And how would we see that call come to fruition? Another great question. I think what comes to my mind quickly is a Bible example. First uh, Kings chapter 19, 18 and 19 talks about Elijah the prophet. And he knows that the, his time is short. And so he is instructed of the Lord to do some anointing of different people. One of them was to go into the field and anoint Elisha to be his successor. So there's a call that's coming on, on a young man. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because of how applicable it is to our lives. So you get the story here. Elijah is on his way out, and Elisha, the Bible says, is in the field plowing with a team of oxen. And it's just kind of an interesting story because Elijah comes and, and lays a mantle on him and just basically turns around and walks away and uh, instructs Elisha, uh, you know, basically follow after me. And Elisha said, well, I have, I have responsibilities, I have things I need to do, to which the prophet says, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, do what you need to do, but follow after me. And as a side note, and I'll just throw this out because this is applicable, I think, to people who are just be beginning their call, responding to the call and minister. It's interesting to me who God chose to be the successor for the prophet. He chose a man that was in a field plowing with a team of oxen. And I, I remember reading that passage years ago and asking, well, why did he choose someone that was in a field plowing with a team of oxen? And it was like the Lord just gave me this epiphany. Now, most of the time when God speaks to me, it's far less dramatic than some people would think it is. 
But it was like the Lord in prayer said, well, the reason why I chose Elisha is because that field needed to be plowed. And I needed someone that was willing to do what needed to be done in that moment. And that was his qualification for then being used greater in the kingdom in the future. So number one, what do we do when God calls us? What do we do when that mantle comes up on us? Uh, We keep plowing in the field that God has given to us. Secondly, there's a principle that you attach yourself to a man of God. So Elisha, after the mantle was placed on him, signifying that he was faithful in the field, then began to serve the man of God. And Elijah said to Elisha, if you're with me when I'm taken, you'll have a double portion that you seek. And uh, so he attached himself to a man of God. Uh, It is my experience, guys, that most of the time, with very few exceptions, great ministries are birthed out of submission to someone else. And so if you look at men and women that we esteem in ministry, if you look back in their history, at some point in their young ministry, they attach themselves to a man or woman of God and begin to serve them. And that is the position that I think scripturally and spiritually that, that qualifies someone to be used greatly in the kingdom of God. So we see Elisha doing twice as many miracles as Elijah being greatly used of the Lord. And yet he was qualified through serving in the field because the field needed plowing and attaching himself to the man of God. And so I would say to a young minister who feels that call, what do you do? You plow in the field that you're in and you don't wait like for someone to die so you can become great. You just plow in the field and then you attach yourself to a man of God. And many times that's our pastor. We serve, we do the things that are necessary uh, it's not the glamorous stuff. It's not the stuff that people clap and put you on a platform for. But I, I say this often to young ministers. It, it's amazing to me when you and I serve in the kingdom, how God in time will turn the spotlight on at the right time. Uh, for instance, I'll just give you an example. And this is a personal example. Literally right before I came in here for this podcast, I was doing some programming for our upcoming camp meeting. And part of what I'm, I'm doing is I am uh, setting some service leaders and, and people that will take part publicly in the, in the camp meeting. And I will just tell you how I am choosing, I'm praying about it, but how I'm choosing those people. I have a list of every minister in our district. And I, I prayed. I opened up the website where the list is, and I prayed. I said, God, now show me who you want for these positions, for these services. Wow. Maybe it's opening in prayer. Maybe it's facilitating part of the service. And one of the things I'm looking for is not just the whisper of the Holy Ghost to say that person, but is this person serving? In my experience here at the, on the, in the district, are they serving? Are they a part? Are they wanting to be a part? Well, I don't think I'm unusual for that. I think that's the way God qualifies people. Yes, sir. Are they serving? Are they involved? Are they? Uh, and, and so I think this is this is really the recipe. I know it's simplistic, but I think this is the recipe for how God uses people. Plowing in the field, yeah. attaching yourself to a man, a woman of God. I'm, um, I've been watching a lot of um, Brother Billy Cole's sermons from back in the '90s and late '80s, and he says a lot, and that a lot of things in ministry can be taught, but there's also a lot that can be caught. Yes, and just being in proximity 
to a man of God, you're a man of God in your life, um, and just doing whatever needs to be done um, will will open up doors that you've never imagined. <clears throat> I'll share one personal story, which you know I've been in Tulsa for the past several months. I got to connect with Brother Baron Longstreth there. Well, one day, it was a Wednesday, I called him up and said, hey man, what are you doing? You want to sit around and talk or pray before service. He said, yeah, I'll just come up around 5 and I'll be done with my lesson. So I get there and uh, he lets me in. We go to the back and he, we just keep going to the very back to the baptistry. What you doing? He's like, well, there's a family that used to come here. Um, they don't come here anymore, but their son, just early 20s probably, really wants to be baptized. So I'm cleaning out the baptistry. I said, well, let me help you. So we get down to t-shirts and we're scrubbing it out with bleach wipes and just sweating and just getting it clean because someone needs to be baptized. Well, we get it clean. It's, it gets filled. So we're, it's about service time. We're sitting, uh, the, the church congregation just kind of sitting there. Well, the family kind of walks through the back into the, the back area to, to get dressed. Well, we, we're sitting there and we just hear some hooping and hollering and good apostolic prayer meeting going on and um, sister Raina Longstreth comes running out and says oh, he just got the Holy Ghost waiting to be baptized so we're all you know worshiping with him and then they baptize him but that moment hit me and I was like overwhelmed with just emotion that was the me helping to clean a baptistry because someone needed to be baptized it was one of the coolest ministry minded things I've ever done yes I mean you know I've spoken a very few small events but that was the coolest moment I've ever had just it needed to be done he deserved a clean baptistry right and it was just it was awesome that's like, awesome you know and no props to me or anybody else but it was it was such a cool thing because like that's what ministry is about that that's yes. what it is it's facilitating the way for other people to experience the power of God there is a passage in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching, and there is a phrase used called the friend of the bridegroom. And I don't have the exact reference in my mind right now, but it talks about the joy that comes in the friend of the bridegroom when the groom and the bride are united together. And there is the strong inference in the New Testament that the greatest joy of the friend of the bridegroom is when that union comes together. In other words, the role of the friend of the bridegroom is to get the groom and get the bride together. And that made me think of that, Devin, when you were talking about that. That is really the role of ministry, is to use what we do to get people together with Christ. And when that happens, there's no greater joy. There's no greater joy. So it's awesome. It is. uh, Stephen and I were talking about that one day. I had... A couple at my house and we were chit-chatting like we're doing now and I felt like God was giving me some thoughts about John the Baptist because that's exactly what his ministry was was I'm here one crying out in the wilderness not to point you to me because yeah. if I wanted to I could have been in the synagogue preaching and teaching but I'm out here in the wilderness preaching a message I know you're not really going to accept a message of repentance what my what I'm doing my purpose here is not for you to think that I'm the Christ or that I'm somebody but to lead you to the way to the one that is coming 
and uh, this is this is Stratton's st- statistics. This is nothing I researched, but when I've read the New Testament, I almost feel like eighty percent of Jesus and John's ministry, which hundred percent of John's ministry, uh, but both of them, most of their ministry was never in the synagogue. It was, it was never within that house or that place of worship. It was out in the streets. It was out in the wilderness, drawing people to the word, drawing people to the message that they had. We weren't, they weren't drawing them to a building. It wasn't drawing them to a specific infrastructure. It was drawing them to the message, to the word. And obviously we know Jesus is that, is the word manifested, but, um, Another question we had pertaining to that is some feel that, like you were, Devin was talking about, that direct call to preach, while others may not feel that direct call to pulpit ministry. My question is, pertaining to that, how, what could we do better uh, as preachers, so to say, or anybody in ministry, what could we do better in not making, not making young ministers or young people feel that they've got to do that. They've got to preach or they've got to be on the platform to sing. Obviously, in our, in our carnal mind, we set those positions up in our own flesh. But I've seen uh, some of the most powerful people used by God were in the streets. It's them bringing the word to them and them just telling the message. It wasn't saying, hey, come to church with me, or hey, come to my church, hear my pastor. I've got the word, too. I, I read the scriptures, too. I'm, I want to bring it to you instead of you coming to that. I mean, what what could we do better if it's a culture thing or if, you know, um, you know, we look at wonderful men and women of God like yourself we see you preach, and we love hearing you guys preach these dynamic messages. What could we do better to better influence, say, someone like myself being 28 years old, but at the time, maybe 17, where that's all I was desiring is, like, i got to be behind the pulpit, man. I've got to preach. I've got to, if I'm not there, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not living in my fulfillment. What are some words that you would give or some insight, some advice to young ministers feeling that? I think we have to. Uh, be very uh, disciplined about what we celebrate. And so as leaders, when we celebrate people who are functioning in a multitude of different types of ministries, and we raise the awareness of that among the people that we have influence with, it catches certain people. And uh, I think about this. Several years ago, we had uh, Urshan College come to our church, and their college choir sang. And shortly after the college choir sang, we had like 10 students from our church go to Urshan. It was like this exodus that went to Urshan as students, including uh, my son. I mean, he was one of them. And, and I remember talking to my wife one, one night at home, and I'm like, I think half of our youth group is now at Urshan, or half of our young adults are at Urshan. And she said, well, that's because we brought the choir in. We elevated an awareness of that institution. Well, if, if that works for Bible college, if that works for a college choir and an institution of higher learning, why wouldn't that 
work for ministry as well. So if we have people that are, are ministering in the streets, they're not preaching behind a pulpit, they're ministering in the streets, and they're very effective on that. I think as leaders, we have to talk about that, and we have to raise that awareness to the people that we have influence with so that that young man who is wired like that will say, hey, that's a valid ministry. And it was raised in awareness in, 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 among the public sector of the church. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, I think if we validate that and applaud that, uh, we're very good at applauding preaching. We organize our entire meetings around preaching, and rightfully so. It is such a powerful thing that the Lord uses. It's, it's, it's what God uses to save those that believe. But my goodness, uh, there are so many other areas of ministry that we need to celebrate as well. So I think celebration and awareness is very important. And things like this, because having podcasts that young men and women are listening to and raising the awareness, uh, it can only reproduce that, which is, which is great in the kingdom. I think Apostolic Youth Corps does a pretty good job <clears throat> of that. Uh, my daughter, Olivia, just got back from her first mission trip to Los Angeles, and she was changed when she came back. You know, they were out in the street. They went to Skid Row. were, were ministering to people on the street and just doing kingdom work where they went. They weren't, you know, all behind the pulpit. Um, some, you know, gave devotions or did Bible studies and uh, some sang, but they were there just to reach people where they were. And I think, I'm not sure the scripture, but Paul went to where people were already congregating. Yes. He, you know, he he just went to you just go to where people are and just right. shared God, mm-hmm. shared Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the love of Jesus. Um, Brother Longstreth had taught Bible study, and he was talking about how the first church used to, they were called the people of the way. Um, and that's that's how they were. That's how they were originally known as the people of the way. Um, and he kind of seg- segued into Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." So if we are people of the way, we're going out and we're 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 reaching people where and we're connecting them at their point of need, and we're just sharing the love of the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I was in downtown Little Rock not too long ago and um, was just walking around and a homeless gentleman approached me, asked for some food. I didn't have any, so I thought, well, there's a Chick-fil-A right down the road. So I took him there and got him some, some food and we were just talking and he was a, uh, a, used to be a Baptist minister. And so we were just talking and I thought, well, can I pray with you? Thinking I was going to do something great, you know. Well, I prayed this little generic prayer, you know, God bless you, you know, keep your hand in protection, you know, yada, 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 which probably did nothing. But walking away from that, I was, like, struck my spirit. I missed a huge opportunity to be like when Paul approached um, believers, and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost? You, yes, you believe in Jesus. Have you received the Holy Ghost? And she believed. They're like, what's, what's that? What's the Holy Ghost? And so he, you know, went on to, to preach the gospel, and you know, many were filled with the Holy Ghost. I think if we, during our daily lives, just living our lives, going about doing good, if we approach that, and I'm going to change my approach to how I talk to people or pray with people. Um, it's, not, it's no longer going to be a generic, you know, I'll, I'll 
pray for your health or I want, I want your soul to be saved. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And I want to introduce people to Christ that way and be more intentional in the way I do that. In Acts chapter 18, I'm thinking about this when you're speaking, Devin, about in the way and, and ministering in the way. Uh, Paul comes to Athens, and if you, we look at this passage, he's not actually planning on staying there. He's just waiting on his ministry partners to show up, and then they're going on from there. But then he looks around Athens, and he sees a whole city given over to idolatry. And you can see this righteous indignation rising up inside of him where he's saying, this, this can't be, this just can't be. And the Bible says that he goes into the marketplace and he reasons, and I'm using the Tim Gaddy version of the Bible here, he reasons with those, and actually the New King James Version says it like this, he reasons with those who happen to be there. And this debunks the idea that we have to get up in the morning and say, oh God, lead me to hungry people right now. Yeah. Paul simply inserted himself into the marketplace and started talking. And uh, Brother Cornwell from Wichita, Kansas, said this years ago. He said, if you will talk with people just about anything, the quicker they share hurts with you, the deeper the hurts are. Yeah, I've noticed that. You know, you may be three, four seconds into a conversation with someone, and you didn't ask for it. You didn't say, hey, what's bugging you right now? You actually just said, how you doing today? And they immediately start sharing hurts. That tells you there's a, there's a deep hurt there because they're willing to share that with someone they don't even know. Yeah. And yet that is part of this idea of connecting with people and ministering to people. And, you, you know, when people start sharing hurts with us, that's like a, a red light flashing. Like, here's a need in my life. And so I think that we, we need to, to sim- I'll speak for myself, I need to simplify this thing. It's just realizing I'm a child of God, and God has put me on this planet, and every day that I live is an opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ. And so I'm going to do that wherever I am. Uh, I'm going to wake up in the morning and believe that where I go, God has intention with that. So, uh, yeah, in the way. I like that. I like that, that, that statement. They're, they're, they were called the way, but they ministered in the way as they went. That's good. I think one, uh, one, maybe last question, or if Stratton has something else. Um, and we may have touched on it some, but if you were to say something to, like, the young people of this generation, and maybe even older adults, um, how do you avoid the danger of trying to push yourself into something um, that God doesn't have for you at this, maybe at this moment, or push yourself toward a certain aspect of ministry and potentially move yourself out of the will of God? How, how can we avoid those dangers? I think, number one, we have to be prayerful. And I know that that sounds very simplistic, but being connected to God is so important because it keeps me grounded. It keeps me hearing the voice of God. And so prayer is so very important. Uh, secondly, I will say this. I was taught many years ago that if we will genuinely be interested in helping other people succeed, we will never go without opportunity to minister. Uh, Kenneth Haney, and I've shared this in several different settings, Kenneth Haney was my pastor for a number of years, and he, he and I were together uh, driving to a funeral one time, and he said this to me, and this, guys, is so imprinted in my spirit. 
I've never forgot it. This was years ago. He said, Tim, if you will be genuinely interested in other people, you will never want for influence. Mm. In other words, you will have people, and he didn't say it like this, but I'll just say it in our context, people will seek you out if your desire will be to help other people succeed. And I've made that a matter of lifestyle for me. Because if I as a minister can help you guys succeed in your ministry, that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Jesus did not minister and say, well, now I'm going to keep building this up and building this up until everybody knows about me. He, he imparted himself in 12 followers and then said, you're going to succeed. And the Bible says that they turned the world upside down. Here are they who turned the world upside down. Uh, Jesus is our example for this. Absolutely. I'll, give you an exa- I'll give you just a quick little story on this as recently as last night. So we were in service here in the youth camp, and uh, Brother Landon Gore was preaching, and just a powerful, powerful message. There was a great witness of apostolic ministry and authority in the, in the service last night. I told our church when I went home that it was as powerful a junior camp service as I've, I've ever been in. And so I'm, I'm in the altar area, and, and we're responding in the altar, and I really felt the Lord nudge me that he wanted to heal people last night in the, in, uh, throughout the tabernacle, not just the campers, but also the adults. And so uh, I really felt strongly in that. So I just slipped up by our youth president, Brother Austin Jackson, and I said, Austin, I just feel a witness that God wants to heal people right now because there was a real strong uh, witness of the Holy Ghost. And he said to me, he said, I felt the exact same thing. Now, here's the, here's the point of this story. Then he looked at me, and he said, do you want to go tell Brother Gore that? Now, if I wanted to, I could have pulled the district superintendent card right there <laughs> because I know he was kind of looking for that direction. And that, that does not because he was insecure in the moment. He just honestly wanted to know, what do you think we need to do here? I said, no, you have, you have that word. You go talk to him. So he, I watched him. He went up and talked to Brother Gore. And uh, it confirmed in Brother Gore's mind later on in, in talking with them that he was feeling the same thing. So I watched it unfold. And uh, Brother Gore is leading the altar time and people respond. It's a powerful move of God. And so he catches my eye. And Brother Gore comes over to me and he said, I really feel maybe there's some instruction that's needed to take us to another place in, in, in obedience to God's word right now. Uh, do you want to give that instruction? And if I wanted to, I could have pulled the district superintendent <laughs> card in that moment and said, yeah. yes, I'll, I'll take this right now. Now, would that have been wrong for me to know? No. However, it made me realize again, my role is to help other people succeed. And so, and I, I'm not saying that to, to pat me on the back, but this has been so ingrained in me over the years by leaders that modeled this and showed this to me. I said, no, you've got the word, Brother Gore. And, and again, he wasn't saying it in an insecure way. He was honestly seeking for direction, and I appreciate that submission in ministry. And he, stu- he, he just led us into a whole different level of apostolic ministry. So um, I, I know that kind of goes and in, in, in maybe in a little different direction, Devin, than your question yeah. right there. But to keep us from pushing, we never, ever, ever go wrong by helping other people succeed. 
So that, that will help us. You're saying that. Um, so one of the greatest impactful um, messages I've ever heard was Brother Joel Urshan at conference, mm-hmm. the fruitful vine. Oh, was what a powerful and message. It, and one thing he said, um, I think he was talking about his, his grandfather. He was going back to Syria, or I think that was the place. And he asked God for the gifts. He's like, God, give me the gifts of the Spirit. I want all, all the gifts so I can be successful. And God's like, you're praying the wrong prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, give me at least two. The working of miracles, the discerning of spirits. I think I'll be okay. You're praying the wrong prayer. So finally, he's like, okay, what prayer should, what, what should I be asking for? He said, pray for compassion. Mm. And you saying that just brought that to my mind. If we approach everything with com- compassion in our hearts and ke- truly caring for souls, caring for people. Um, it takes a lot of the arrogance out of it. Mm, it takes absolutely. a lot of the, hey, look at me, here's what I'm doing. But just being, how many times was, does the Bible say Jesus was moved by compassion yes. and healed, healed them? Yes. Um, so I think if we can operate in love, Brother Mark Brown's got a really good, um, message he preached at his church called Puff or Love. Mm-hmm. He talks about how knowledge will puff you up, but if you approach everything with love, everything with compassion, um, you can truly reach people, and they'll feel that. Mm-hmm. People can tell when you're authentic. Yes. And when you're, when you're talking to them with compassion, if you're having compassion, not just empathy, but c- true compassion. Yes. They can feel that, and they'll respond to that. Yes. And I think God respond. God will respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that that part up. Just truly caring for people and having others' best interest. And how can I elevate? How can I elevate you? How can I help you be successful? I, I like that. I appreciate yes. that. <clears throat> so important. I mean, that was Jesus. His whole purpose every single day, in prayer, to do the Father's will and to help other people. He was never doing it to magnify himself it was to magnify the father and Mm -hmm. and to to do the father's will be to be used as an instrument to help others see what they did not see in themselves Mm -hmm. did not have the right sight to see what their father saw in them they're listening to every other spirit in the world and they're not listening to the one who created them the one who has nourished them for years the one who kept their shoes on their feet through the wilderness they're not listening to the one that provided water out of a rock or all these other miracles they're not listening to him they're listening to all these other people in the world they're listening to what's going on in the culture in in egypt they're listening to everything else social media nowadays whatever it is they're not listening to what their heavenly father the one who gave them life has to say. Uh, Jesus was, uh, I might be quoting the scripture wrong, but that uh, scripture says that there would be one that would come in the spirit of Elijah, and obviously we know that was John, and, and, and uh, talking about he will bring the fathers back to the sons and the sons back to the fathers. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of John and Jesus's ministry was to bring back that unity of the father-son relationship that, that Stephen was talking about it uh, yesterday. When we 
bringing us back to that revelation of sonship. Yes, yes. It was like they, the, the Israelites, um, they didn't, like they didn't believe that they were sons anymore. They were so distracted by the other uh, voices of the spirits in the world. They uh, forgot what their father's voice sounded like. Show us the father. Have I not been so long with you and you still don't know my voice and you still don't know me? I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I've, I've been here the whole time. It ain't nothing I've done. And he, 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 he draws us back to him. That was the whole purpose of their ministry. And I've noticed, and I was telling, I think it was when we had our men's breakfast last Saturday, how just recently becoming a father has changed my perspective on a whole lot of things. Yeah. Mm. But uh, doing everything for my child and Jazzy and I were talking about this in bed the other night how different it feels now that you have a kid and it's not like it doesn't it's not like we were so focused on ourselves as if we were just completely selfish but when you have a kid and now everything you do is to train them to better them help them know how to live when you 100 percent stop focusing on yourself and you believe that the father will provide you with food and money in your ministry or whatever it is i told jazzy i just i feel whole and i told steven that, that the whole father thing it was like it was already there and obviously i'm i'm not saying that as if i know everything about being a father but it was like that attribute of being a father it was it was like god had already put that in me and, and i was telling steven we were at brother melton's one day outside and i was just he was asking me about how it feels to be a dad and all this. And I was like, man, it's weird. I said, because to an extent, it feels new, but it feels like it was, not to be cliche, but that it was meant to be. Like sure. God already put certain attributes in me to be able to take care of my child, take care of my wife and provide for them and do those things. And I thank God for that. But when we... when when you truly stop focusing on yourself, uh, not neglecting yourself, no, but when you're the purpose of why you're living is not focused on yourself and it's for somebody else. That's when I find full fulfillment and, 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 and what God has got me here on earth for when I'm, when I'm applying and doing what he's taught me and what he's, trained me in and, and, and giving it to somebody else freely I have been given so freely I should be able to give or should give and when I freely give whatever knowledge he's given me whatever God has given me whatever he's put in me and not going beyond what he's helped me to know and the revelations that he's given me not going beyond those but whatever he's given me whatever he's put in me giving that to other people and it may not be extravagant. It may not be the most powerful message, but sometimes it's just a simple little word, a little application or a little principle that God gave me uh, in my life that I still try to put in play today. I mean, little four-word sentences. Brother Stephen has spoken to me when I was 15, 17. I just texted him the other day. Uh, I think it was one sentence. I was going through a rough time in 2015 at the internship with Brother Anthony Mangan's church. And uh, I asked him, I said, I don't know what to do in this situation. And he just paused as we were on the phone and he said, I think you already know what you need to do. You're just 
you're so focused on the outcome of the decision you know you need to make. And I think that's a, that we deal with that a lot. We don't make certain decisions when we know what to do. It's, we're trying, we want to control that outcome, and faith is you not controlling that outcome. Mm-hmm. You can't control the outcome. You just make the decision to do it. But when I uh, when you when you really start loving people, well, what's that old saying? I don't I don't remember who it was, but uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. That statement, I I, I heard that for the first time at, by the Mangan's Church in 2015 during one of our lessons, but I'd never really seen it demonstrated until I sat down <clears throat> and really paid attention to Brother and Sister Mangan. And they were the... I, I, Sometimes it, it, it's one of the biggest things I've has impacted my life. And so almost every time I talk about it, I could cry. And I tell Stephen and other people that uh, their demonstration of love was beyond anything I had ever seen. To what going back to recognition of those that may not be on the pool or you know on the platform, Brother Mangan was so good. I don't know how to this day, but he was so good at purposefully in the sermon or during the service at the church recognizing someone who was passing out candy or passing out pamphlets or whatever it is so he was very good at bringing recognition and awareness to other people that may not be in the limelight Mm -hmm. and when when he would do that in the services it was just like i'd sit there in the chair and i'm just like how why are you doing that and i just over the years i learned why but he was he was one of my favorite examples of just preaching and come off the platform change into a sport coat get out of his you know suit and tie and come out there and just start shaking hands with people but a lot of that revelation came to me when we uh when I realized you know to an extent we start idolizing people behind the pulpit these preachers and we we, the older you get you realize they're just human beings that's right that's right they're not super apostles (laughs) <laughs> Super apostles. I heard someone say that there is nothing more powerful to the human ear than the sound of one's own name. Mm. So, Devin, Stratton, there's real power in what you guys are doing here. And I, I, the, the people that have made the greatest impact in my life over the years are people that, that to that point, what you're saying about uh, Bishop Mangan, genuinely interested in people, calling them by name, honoring them for being a hostess in the, in the lobby, you know, just gathering people close, even verbally. Uh, there's nothing that influences quite like that. Mm. And it makes, I mean, all these years later, what's that, eight years later? And it's still impacting you. How powerful is that? One quick thing, and then I'll get you to um, just end it off here. Um, this has all kind of brought me to this story um, in the Bible where the woman, and I think her sons, were, were basically out of everything. Uh, they were out of oil. Well, there was maybe a little bit. And the, I may be mixing up two stories here. But the prophet basically told her, go gather all the empty vessels in your house. So she got those. He said, no, go out in the town, borrow what you have to, bring the empty vessels. Not a few. Not a King few. King version says, <laughs> not a few. Not a few. As many as you can. Um, and once they brought all the empty vessels, then God performed the miracle and they were filled. And God nudged me and said, that's what I want you to do. 
do what you can. Bring the empty vessels, and I'll fill them. Mm-hmm. So I want my I want to be known as someone who brings an empty vessel, mm-hmm. so God can. <clears throat> we can if we perform or we do our humanity, what we can accomplish in our humanity, God will accomplish His miraculous. Yes. So yes. I want to be a bringer of empty vessels. Amen. Amen. She and, didn't realize her mission was going out there to br- bring purpose. To those empty vessels. Yeah. I'm going to grab you to bring purpose. You're empty now, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming to bring purpose into yeah. to what you should be doing, holding this oil and what, what God wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm closing out here. If, if you um, would say one thing or one or two things to like this generation or someone who may be listening to this, um, what would that be? And we'll let your voice be the last I think it is so vital for ministers at any age, but specifically young ministers and people that are responding to the call of God to choose your attitude wisely. Uh, Our attitude uh, determines so much about our life. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book years ago, and he said that 90% of life and success is your attitude. Uh, Skill can be taught. Ability can be learned, but attitude is inherent. And we choose our attitude every day. We can see the glass half empty, or we can see the glass half full, or we can be grateful we have a glass. And so uh, I would say to young ministers, uh, just be okay with how God made you. Serve, connect yourself to a man or woman of God. Uh, function in your in your ability. There's a reason it's the body of Christ and not the all-star of Christ. It's it's all of us working and, and blending our abilities and our giftings together, and, and that's the way God accomplishes powerful things. And I, and I don't want to say specifically to you, Devin, and to you, Stratton, uh, it's an honor to talk to you guys about these kind of ministry items and and share heartbeats with each other. And I think this podcast will serve as a catalyst for others to engage their abilities in the kingdom of God. There's going to be some young men and young women that hear this podcast and say, well, if they can do that, I I can function in the kingdom and I can be ministers. And so I applaud you for taking the step, getting after it, serving, talking, communicating, interviewing. Uh, It's what the kingdom's all about. So... Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is this, and it's something that I've tried to communicate over the years, and I will for hopefully if the Lord gives me many more years, is to our young men and our young women, dream big dreams. Uh, God has things in store for this generation coming up that go far beyond anything any generation has ever experienced. Don't be satisfied with status quo, get by, just barely make it ministry. Uh We'll do our part. Now, you know, I'm not talking about being an all-star. We'll do our part, but dream big dreams. This is a big kingdom. God's got great things for us to do in the kingdom. And so commit those dreams to the Lord, but don't settle for second best. Uh, Get after it and watch God uh, surprise us with what he does. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. We look forward to another Kingdom Conversation with you.